welcome back to episode number 136 of the Sunny 16 podcast. Uh, it's me, Graham, in charge today because we're recording a bit early and sadly Aid has got his hands full of children so he can't join us this evening. But that's all right. I have Rachel here to make sure I don't mess it up completely. Rachel, how are you? I am good. I have my hands full of tea at the moment. That's nice. Not literally, you know, holding it as a bowl and drinking my tea from my hands, but I have a nice a nice cup here. So, uh, yeah, it's it's um, it's a funny one being a little bit earlier today. It's it's kind of nice. I don't feel like I'm quite ready for for bed yet, <laughs> which is nice. Um, so I'm, I'm a bit more alert, I hope. And um, yeah, it's uh, been a a long day today at the university i've been doing a little bit of uh, sessional stuff there a bit in cinematography so lots of camera and lighting and things like that but uh video so uh it will be it's uh yeah it's nice to be here and uh be speaking to our super special guest who we have we do have a wonderful super special guest with us this evening somebody who we have long talked about getting on and um, i thought oh, i don't i don't know whether she would join us i know she'd lower herself to joining us and fortunately <laughs> fortunately she has and we are delighted to have joining us all the way from the uh west coast you're on the west coast i think aren't you is that right yes perfect we have jm golding from falling through the lens photography and jm golding photography and just general awesomeness and creator of wonderful photographs jm welcome to the show thank you very much graham i'm thrilled to be here it's so nice because it feels like we've been in correspondence with you for a very long mm -hmm. time now. I suspect you first got in touch with us regarding um, 127 Day, uh, which we will absolutely get to later. Um, and then after being introduced to your work and seeing some of the stuff you submitted for the Cheap Shots Challenge, um, there's been this sort of constant back and forth of, oh, there's just brilliant stuff going on. And hearing your name pop up tangentially um, with regards to things like um, Holgerday and stuff like that. Um, so there's loads of things that I want to talk to you and, and learn about tonight. Um, but uh, let's start with a bit of... Um, what you do or the kind of stuff that you're particularly known for. So as I was just saying, we know you primarily from um, 127 Day, which you organize and run uh, and your work with Holgers and toy cameras. Um, but what is it that led you into using these more lo-fi cameras in the first place? Well, I've kind of um, returned to lo-fi um, after a, a time with a, long time actually with with a um, film SLR um, but my very first camera was a plastic 127 camera it was a, a birthday present when I was seven years old um, and you know at the time I wanted the, the 35 millimeter camera because you know that was that was cool but I was too <laughs> little for it um, <laughs> um, so I got my, my first 35 um, <laughs> when I was in college and really loved working with that for a long time. And at some point, I don't remember exactly when or where I saw a Holgate image in print. And I thought, wow, that's gorgeous. I want to do that sometime. And I didn't really um, sort of go back to it. And then, uh, let's see, about 11 years ago, some dear friends of mine, my dear friends, Lisa and John, gave me a Holga for my birthday. I was so excited to start using it. And it was like I would make these pictures and go, wow, mine look like that. <laughs> um, 
and I just love doing it. It's just, it's so magical. Um, and um, I, I love the, the process of working with a Holga. I mean, I, I, during my, my SLR days, I also, I was reading Ansel Adams. I read the, um, the camera, the negative and the print and loved those books and was like, wow, I can understand the zone system. Um, but there's also something to just not thinking about any of that stuff. Um, and just being kind of connected with what I'm photographing, being in that moment. Sure. So, so how long ago was you were saying since you got given the Holger the second time round? It's been 11 years. 11 years. And that does seem to have been, um, I mean, whilst they, your friends certainly did a wonderful thing for you, it does seem like they were also the ones going, hey, the first taste is for free, uh, that then led you down the <laughs> rabbit hole of like, well, now now this is a thing. Um, because um, the, the plastic and toy camera uh, and pinhole as well has become a huge part of your creative output to the extent where I don't think I've seen um, just a straight SLR image, at least in my wanderings on your feed. Probably not. I, I've not done any, well, I've done very little of that work in the last 10 years. And, and that is kind of the thing I do these days. I mean, it's really, it's mostly plastic pinhole and um, uh, vintage TLR. So um, I, I know there's a, a controversy on uh, on Sunny 16 about, about TLRs, but I, I love my TLRs. Only that A is wrong. Yeah, just no <laughs> okay. controversy there at all. <laughs> and he's not here today, so that's okay, we can say that. Yeah. We love you, Aid. Um, uh, can I ask, Jim, um, what is it specifically about that lo-fi aesthetic that appeals to you? Well, I think, I don't know, I have a lot of favorite kinds of blur. Um, <laughs> That's lovely, like a catalogue of different blurs that you go for. Yeah. Um, I think um, there's something that just feels very kind of emotionally expressive about mm -hmm. about those those blurry looks and the, the vignetting. Um, that just, I don't know, it just, it feels kind of, it just fits right. And I'm not sure how else to say that. That's something um, that I, I really want to get to, actually, is the expressive nature. We, Rachel and I, and I suspect most of our listeners, have some toy cameras, whether it's a Holger or a Diana um, or a, you know, a plastic Vivitar or something like that, one of the many flavours of cheap plastic cameras. Most of us have got one because the, the, the cheap part's quite integral to that. Um, and... I know that I certainly enjoy them for the fun look they can give and the kind of the serendipitous nature of shooting with them. Um, but the thing that always strikes me about your work is that you might be using a tool which, uh, on the one hand, is well, you know, it's a, it's a toy and this, you know, the unpredictable nature and the serendipity is part of it. But the work you create um, doesn't in any way feel serendipitous mm. it feels mm. uh, it feels like all that knowledge that you built up um and understanding that you built up and internalized during your slr time um mm. uh, is just in the background there and enabling you to create uh, images which are spectacular you squeeze the absolute best out of these cameras to create um incredibly expressive artwork what 
I mean, without giving too much away, obviously, because otherwise we'll all be doing. But what are the secrets? What are, what has been the way that you found of really unlocking the potential of these cameras? First, thank you very much for your kind words about my work. Um, I'm not sure there's a one secret. You know, I mean, people talk about serendipity, and yeah, that's real. But at the same time, I don't know. I the way I like to think of it is the unconscious knows what it's doing. Um, not always, obviously. Mm. Um, I really agree with what you're saying there, Graham. And I think it's, you see, the thing is with these kinds of cameras, you can see how it can be really easy to take a really crap photo with that, with that, with those kinds of cameras and really difficult to take something that's really wonderful. And I think all of your work and everything we've seen from you is very much towards the like how on earth do you create these beautiful images from from these cameras that um i for one definitely struggle with you know um it ends up being oh you might get one or two shots perhaps on one roll um that you're happy with um but yeah it just it can seem to be too much of a challenge sometimes um and uh, as graham very um, uh, put it very well it's uh, it just seems that you're able to harness the power of that very well um, so there must be some tips and tricks in there somewhere <laughs> <laughs> even if you're not aware of it maybe <laughs> I've, I've heard it said that that Ansel Adams said that if he got 12 photographs he liked in a year he was doing really well so I think <laughs> one on a roll is good yeah um, but I think just being really present in the moment is is what seems to work the best for me to just kind of allow myself to to really be there to to I don't know to notice what I'm seeing. Yeah, that, I don't know if that makes any sense to no. really take my time with it. I mean, the, the fact that one of the the names that you use on the internet is is falling through a lens. Um, it it does strike me that your photography is quite a meditative thing you you are I, I i think i may have read this in an interview online with you um you, you're sort of you like to be carried like a leaf on the wind through your photography and just clearly you have found a tool that you are in sync with and with that in mind you're then able to go out and it's it is not a struggle <laughs> it is just oh this is this is what feels right um i mean is am i kind of on the mark there do you think i think pretty much i think you know there are times when you know uh, not much feels right and i it's sort of not coming and you know you have to i think all of us have to kind of slog through those times um sorry there was something, something else you said that i wanted to respond to oh the falling through the lens part um i took that from a, um something that a, a workshop instructor said years and years ago and i'm afraid i don't even remember who it was but um the instructor said you know to make photographs you have to fall through the lens um and that just seemed like such a, a perfect metaphor for what it feels like to just kind of um allow that that connection yeah. I don't know how else to, to say it. When you're working with these uh, simpler cameras, do you, um, because they're so much more limited in terms of the range that they'll cope with, do you have certain tools that you will use for certain jobs? Do you work with a fairly limited film set 
um, so that you really know these things inside out and back to front or, or do you experiment quite a lot with these different things I experiment a little bit but not that much I feel very pulled between the the depth and breadth kind of aspects of this um, but yeah there are a few films I use a lot um, I've learned to let go of the photos that you can't take I mean I was used I used to you know use a zoom lens and when I first started using a Holga, it was like, oh, <laughs> I can't get that photograph because I can't get close enough. And it's like, okay, I have to just let go of that one and, you know, move on toward the one I can get. Um, yeah, I, um, yeah, I find there, there are certain, certain films I like. And, you know, as you can, you know, you've seen my work, it's almost all black and white. On the other hand, I do, some, I mean, some work with very old, expired, cross-process slide film. I've done some of that, so some of each, I guess. But mostly, mostly the the kind of I like to stay focused on the more kind of stable, consistent sort of. I, I, I was going to say knowing what I'm getting, but it's not that. <laughs> um, but at least knowing what I'm working with. Given the fact that your main inspiration source seems to be the natural world, I and mean, almost all of your pictures um, are taken outside, they are of nature in some form, whether it's nature up close or um, dramatic landscapes at a distance, whatever it may be. Um, what is it about black and white? Because my instinct would be to go, well, I mean, if you're outside shooting nature, mm -hmm. then colour. Why black and white? Well... Um, I think partly the landscape that I'm in that doesn't, the color is not that impressive. I mean, there are some times when I, you know, I've, I've gone to some of the, the national parks in the Western U.S. where Ansel Adams photographed and went, no wonder he worked in black and white. <laughs> um, but part of it, I think for me, is also making it less about the specific place and thing so the photograph isn't about this particular hill on this particular trail but it's about what i'm feeling here now what i'm experiencing or maybe what you're experiencing as you view the photo or both and the connection between us and that mm -hmm. and what is it so, that you're I mean, looking for that my work has a sense of place but i i don't feel like it's about place if that makes any sense. Sure. I I'm never quite certain what that what that phrase means, a sense of place, to be honest. It's like, well, I mean, it is a place, but I'm not entirely sure having it. So when you're looking at your photos, um, what is it that you're looking for when this is post having taken them? Well, I suppose when you're taking them, but also especially once you've taken them and you're looking through them to find the ones that you're particularly pleased with. What is it that you're looking for in, in your pictures that, that you want to find that, that when you see it, you go, great, that's what I was aiming for. What kind of feelings, what kind of images are you particularly seeking out? Most of the time, I'm not so much aiming. Um, <laughs> it, it's more like, okay, so let's see what, you know, my unconscious and the randomness of the Holga will do as they were mm -hmm. there. Um <laughs> Because Holga's just not that controllable. Um, 
with the TLR, maybe it's a little different. I'm thinking about how um, yesterday on, on 127 day, I was, I was uh, using a Yashica 44 and I found myself in this one spot on a, on a trail and you're right. Absolutely. You know, nature is a, my main inspiration um, where the, there were these tiny little new leaves that were being, um, they were kind of catching the sunlight. And so everything looked kind of dark around them. And there, there were these like little sparkles of light. And I was thinking, wow, it would look really cool if they look like really little sparkles of light on the photograph. I don't know whether they will or not. Yeah. Um, but um, it's, I, I wish I could be more systematic and kind of explaining to you what, um, you know, what it is I, I see, but mostly it's sort of like, as it, and this usually happens for me at first in scanning, sometimes later on, where I, I see the image and I go, oh, I like that one. <laughs> uh, it's, it feels like an instinct kind of thing, actually. I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain. I, I have to say, if this, as it's sounding like this, this is largely based on instinct, then I think a lot of people, myself included, are going to be very cross with you because your instincts are <laughs> fairly sublime. For, for, because for all that you say, well, you know, it's just what the Holger will do and the being, you know, the, um, your, uh, the work that you share, as I said earlier, is, is very consistent and, and actually has. A, a real look to it, quite a defined mm -hmm. style to it. Um, yeah, style. You yeah. create a lot of, a lot of your images have quite a lot of depth and drama. Um, do you do, I don't know, do you do your own printing at home or do you do much work in post-processing -proce um, on the computer? What's your workflow once you've taken the pictures? So I develop my own films and scan them. Um, I don't do my own darkroom printing. There was a time when I when I did some of that, and I've just never been very good at it. And so I've kind of provisionally made the decision to not put my time and energy into that, since other people do it better than I do. And I would like to do. I'd, I'd like to spend more time um, out there making the images. Um, in terms of post processing, I try to do what what I could do in the darkroom if I were any good at it. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I will usually do some lighting adjustment, especially with the, with the plastic camera and the, and the pinhole photos, less so with the, uh, with the TLR. Um, but some kind some lighting adjustment and some uh, dodging and burning and then, and that, and, you know, dust removal. Um, and um, I don't, it's like, I allow myself to just go ahead and be a, you know, be more, more dramatic, see how it looks if the sky's really dark, you know, and if I don't like it, I can hit undo. So it's, <laughs> it works. And I, I have a, a master printer I work with who does really nice digital printing. Hmm. Um, so I can send my files to him and he, he does good work with that. But I'm, I'm learning how to print digitally myself. We'll see how far that goes. That sounds fun. It's a new challenge. It's so nice to hear you say that about the post-processing side because it does feel in the analog world like there's a bit of a taboo of um, post-processing and mucking around with it. And, and as you said, 
if you were darkroom printing, you'd have no qualms whatsoever about making strong choices to affect the way that the image looks, um, to, gr to give you the drama, the emotion that you want. Uh, I know I've talked in the past about going to see Tim Rudman's exhibition last year um, with his fantastic images, and he's a master darkroom printer, and he puts in incredible time and effort into making those images look like what they do um, and yet the fact that people uh, there seems to be this maybe consensus is too strong a word but this certainly swell of opinion that well you couldn't do that in digital though to make strong choices like that when you're shooting when you're processing it digitally would just be morally wrong you'd be um, somehow sullying the negative so uh, <laughs> and I, I completely disagree with that obviously um, uh, so it's it's really interesting and it's nice to hear you say that you're quite happy to get in there and make your art your art and maybe not feel too precious about it in that sense um, well, yeah, I figure it's it's my choice to do those things, and you know, I don't I don't think that it's sullying the negative because I think what it actually is, if you you know if you just if you scan and you and you want to just keep the scan exactly the way it is, is that's accepting your scanner's uh, auto exposure, and why would I want the auto exposure to do my artwork for me? Yes, it's very very true. Um, you mentioned a little while ago about the fact that you shoot pinhole as well. Um, do you uh, use pinhole for different kinds of projects? Are, are you taking those out when you have different things in mind to tackle or a different mindset? Because you can't really, you can't shoot pinhole in the way that you've been describing shooting the toy cameras as much because it's it's just inherently a slower process. That is very true. Um, I don't. I haven't actually done an exclusively pinhole project yet, but sure, I I need to um, be in a different frame of mind, and almost all of the time, I need to be willing to carry a tripod. <laughs> and yeah, it's there's. I think there are some um, subjects that I particularly like with with pinhole, like moving water. Um, and I don't know. Yeah. Some days I may just be like pinholing and, and go ahead and do it. <laughs> it's, it's such a, where, whereas with the Holgers and the other toy cameras, you're, you're capturing this, you know, fun, flawed vision, but it, it, so much of your work seems built around the light, um, and the way that the light affects what's in front of you, and, and you're using that to give the drama. Pinhole, um, obviously, it's still capturing light. That goes without saying. But because of the time frames, it, it actually is the time quite often that is making the images interesting with pinhole and the passage of time and the things. I mean, like I said, water being a great example. You're, you're capturing a slice of time, a chunk of time that's far bigger than one one hundredth of a second, and and so it gives you a chance to do an experiment with different stuff from that. Um, Absolutely. You talked about the fact that you haven't tackled any pinhole projects um, as such yet, um, but you do with your work. You are creating bodies of work rather than just single images um are these things that you get in your mind you go okay i'm going to go out and this is a theme that i'm working towards are these situations where you're just taking work taking pictures and then deciding okay where does this fit within what i want to work on at the moment how do you come to put a project together it varies somewhat um and i'm i've found that there's a, a certain amount of 
kind of structure to it that that works well for me and if it's too much or too little it it doesn't work so um sometimes like i i did a a project called from destruction grows a garden of the soul um where i photographed initially i was just photographing after a there was a major fire not far from here on a mountain um and I wanted to kind of see what the burn landscape looked like. And when they let people go out there, I went out and photographed out there. And I kind of thought that was the end of it. And then there were these amazing wildflowers that mm. bloomed in the spring that um, only bloom when there's been a super hot fire. And so they're like once or twice in a lifetime kind of things. And I started photographing those and making the connection between that and the, and the burn. Um, and that's one where I actually included some pinhole photos. I just, my, my structure for that was just before and after, ultimately was just before and after the fire. Um, regardless of what camera I feel like that day or what film I feel like that day. Um, so that was kind of the way, the way I structured that one. Um, sometimes I will have an idea that matches, um, I don't know, just a, a concept that I have, like um, I, I have a project called Where You Are, which um, is uh, double exposures of uh, where one exposure is close up and the other is far away. And so that was kind of the structure of it was to go out and do that and see what happens. Um, sometimes I'll make one photograph and go, oh, I like that. I could do that some more. I could elaborate on that. And and continue in that vein. So, uh, do you find working in that way um, suits you? Do you do you find it easier to make pictures when you have a, a project in mind or a, a general theme, or are you is is being inspired to take photos just a thing that comes very easily to you because <laughs> it sure tech <laughs> doesn't to me. Well, it's it it varies a lot over time. I think having a project does kind of kind of put a structure around it that's that's helpful and that that is a it's kind of a place to start from. Um, do you and, do you see that you've got um, that you know of exhibitions that are coming up? Because obviously I've seen that you have a lot of work in in various exhibitions across you know internationally, um, all all over the place and. And is it sometimes that you see, oh, they've got this coming up and you apply to an open call, for example, um, or do you kind of go out there, shoot the work and then go, ha, huh, that project that I've been looking at or that um, type of uh, image I've been working on trying to nail down would really fit within that instead? It's much more the latter. Okay. I don't photograph for an open call. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know. That's a kind of structure I, I don't really mm -hmm. like. I think it just makes me feel pressured. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I feel like if I see an open call where the, the theme really is consistent with the work I've done, I go, oh, okay, that one's a good fit for me. And that's when I would decide to submit to, mm -hmm. to one of those. Can we talk a bit about, because your work has, as Rachel was just saying, been exhibited around the world, um, you've won awards for your work, mm -hmm. uh, and you've appeared in various publications. Um, not just the Cheap Shots Challenge, Not I just, say. I mean, obviously. <laughs> and to be honest, I'm quite surprised that's not top of your um, About Me page. That's that's weird, but I guess this is... I was looking for it. Just, it wasn't there. <laughs> clearly, you just haven't updated your website recently. That's all right. Um, clearly. Um, 
how did you get into doing that? Because uh, as Rachel will testify, um, finding the courage to put your work out there to um, start even sending things off for this can be quite uh, quite a big step for a lot of people. Um, what what in prompted you to start doing that? Um, and how have you found the experience? Well, I'm thinking back to the first open call I submitted to. And I'm trying to think if, if that was before there was a a contest for in a um, like a plastic camera magazine that no longer exists um, that I submitted to and I, they didn't accept any of my work. But the very first juried show that I submitted to, um, there was a, a really uh, small uh, Flickr group that I belonged to back then. This is 2009. Um, that um, was very kind of focused on the, the kind of work I was doing. And um, somebody had written about this call for entries. And I went, oh, that sounds consistent with my work. Oh, let's see what happens. I mean, it's really, it's that, that kind of experimental approach to it. It's kind of like what, what I do with a camera where I go, oh, let's see what happens. Um, and they, they accepted my photograph or one of the one of the photographs I submitted to them I think it was one no two they accepted two of my photographs and um, gave one of them an award which is like wow <laughs> it was very exciting um, and you know occasionally I would hear about them I'm, I'm not on social media so it I don't hear about them through there but um, I don't know I'm, I'm very kind of plugged into it now where do you tend to come across these uh, these kinds of things? Because I think um, often I've had people say, "Well, I just I just don't really know that they're happening, or I don't know, you know, when they're coming up," and and so that um, can sometimes be a barrier, or they see them afterwards, you know. Uh, so, for example, from my from my perspective, if um, I'm I'm you know signed up to quite a lot of the arts newsletters you know especially from um uh, around the northwest of the uk and things so i will see various things come up through those and i find that those are quite a good way of finding out what's happening um are your networks more um in person uh, around where you live or are they um and through various other you know flicker groups and photo clubs or or do you also do the same sort of thing where you're signed up to lots of um organizations that will send you information and ask for submissions um well I've discovered that once you submit to a juried show mm -hmm. where the, at a gallery that does these regularly, you get on their mailing list. Okay. Um, so I do get emails from galleries. Um, there are a few resources out there that are probably mostly U.S. Mm -hmm. um, but there's um, there's a website called Call for Entry or Cafe. Um, there's Lens Scratch has listings. Don't Take Pictures has listings. F-Stop Magazine has listings. Um, so there, there are a lot of them out there. Um, and yeah, there's a, a local um, photography organization that's kind of just started up in the last year that um, I get I get newsletters from, and they they did their first jury show a couple of months ago, and I was. I'm happy to have a, a piece in that one too. So, yeah. 
Um, do you, with your work, and you were talking earlier about the fact that you've got somebody who's uh, you know, printing your stuff, doing a fantastic job of printing your work for you, and that it's actually something that you're going to, or you are about to embark on the journey of learning yourself how to really make that work home, which has always seemed like quite a learning curve <laughs> to do that. <laughs> um, do you sell your work? Uh, is the, is, is part of this a way you make money or is photography purely a, a hobby for you um i have a day job <laughs> a sensible day job yeah but no i i do um you know i do have sales occasionally sometimes that happens. for example at those jury shows or you know anybody's interested through my website they're mm -hmm. welcome to contact me yeah that's uh, jmgolding.com uh go and look at the pictures you certainly should um g talking about uh these things that you've got involved with the exhibitions and stuff like that and clearly you've got something from that and you found it enjoyable um is that part of the reason that you decided to create your own kind of venture along similar lines of the one two seven day well the one two seven days of the year we we really need to talk about this what led to one two seven days uh, you starting all of that off well i i can't really take credit for starting it it existed before i jumped in what <laughs> yeah. i won't even hear Surprise. it it did but you know i mean there's there's a Flickr group that's completely inactive and has been for a long time. Um, and I'm just, I, I don't know, I have this thing about photography holidays. I really like them. I, <laughs> I started doing Worldwide Pinhole Photography Day, you know, some years ago. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. People all over the world at the same time out there pinholing. Um, and, you know, 127 just seemed like a, a natural fit. And it's, a, it's kind of a... Um, a nostalgic thing for me because my first camera used 127 um and I, you know i didn't want it to die out so i thought well let's try this so, so yeah 127 day so we most listeners will probably have heard us talk about this um but it would be great if you could just kind of give us an overview of one the many times a year that it happens and, okay. and and kind of what what the idea of one two seven day is what about the cameras that you use for it and and you know what you get out of it i suppose is as good as an example as any well what i get out of it is just, it's just fun for me um 127 day happens three times a year on january 27th which in american is 127 so that was yesterday and uh, although I guess it won't be by the time this broadcasts, <laughs> last Sunday, um, and the twelfth of July, which is one two seven in European notation, and December seventh, one two seven, um, and it's just a day to go out and make pictures in one twenty seven format. So, you know, you might people mostly, I think, use. 127 format cameras, but the film can be, you know, 127 film, fresh or expired. There's very little fresh, and I really hope they keep making it. Um, it can be 35 millimeter film uh, fit into, you know, with a camera that's modified so that it uh, fits or um, spooled onto 127 backing paper and, and spool. Um, it can be bulk loaded 46 millimeter film 
Um, it can be uh, 120 film that's been cut down. Lots of ways to do it. Which do you um, tend to find works best? Sorry to uh, go off on a slight tangent, no, no, but um, it's, use, it's useful to know, I think, um, for, because obviously with one um, with uh, 120 being much more widely available, it's good to know how you uh, go about it. How how you go about? I'm sorry, cutting it down. Yeah, is that is there some a particular um, process that you find works best for you? I have honestly only tried it one way, which um, is a a device that um, we featured on uh, on the 127 Film Photography blog. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's see, I can find it and tell you uh, tell you the details. I um, come across people using like cigar cutters and things like that for it. Um, I don't know if that's something uh, that was no. that came across. I have not used a cigar cutter, but um, I mean this is a, a, a um, dedicated device. It's a three D printed thing that was made just for this purpose. Um, that's cool. I'm I'm kind of clumsy, so I didn't. <laughs> didn't do that great of a job of it, but I did, I did do, you know, one roll that way. I have an easier time mm-hmm. um, with um, with film that starts out 127, and I've, this year, bought my first bulk load of 46 millimeters, so ah, I'm waiting yeah. until I have enough, uh, enough uh, um, backing paper and, and spools um, to... Uh, to, to spool that up and I'll probably rather than trying to do that in a dark bag I'll rent some darkroom time mm. okay mm. so the um, the device I use is um, was made by a gentleman called Luke Taylor mm-hmm. and it was um, there was a, a post about it with a wonderful illustration by him um, on June 2nd of last year Fantastic. We will have to check that out and make sure that we're at least ready and armed with that before July. That's the next one, isn't it? (laughs) It Fantastic. One of the nice things about 127 cameras is that uh, nobody wants them or loves them anymore, (laughs) which might sound like a backhanded compliment, but it does mean that they Mm. are often the cheapest cameras out there. And there are a lot of them, aren't there? Um, You've got a a great list on the 127 Film Blogspot page. Um, I'm not going to try and count up how many there are there because there are too many. (laughs) Um, Because 127 Film, it was around for a long time, wasn't it? Uh, Can you tell us, if if you know, how long 127 Film was actually being used for? Oh, goodness. I, I do not know. The, the details of the, the history of it but yeah some of those cameras go back a very long way yeah i mean it and must I, be it 50s still in use in the 70s yeah i mean I, I i i'm trying to think what the earliest ones i've seen and they must be 50s maybe 60s um through till i think it was the 90s when it was finally killed off or finally mainly killed off as you said there is still some fresh film around today um in the form of uh, rarapan and that's about mm. it isn't it yeah as far as i know that's the only one although is that what you shot with graham yes 
yeah same same here yeah that's that's the uh, the only one that i've i've shot with i was wondering whether you'd had a go because you know with all your sort of um julie battels and um, frankensteining of, of cameras and things i wondered if you'd had a go at uh at cutting your own uh 127 film oh um, no i'm no. okay <laughs> i'm very much if i don't have 127 film i i definitely fall into the school of oh let's just jam in a roll of 35 millimeter um because that okay. works pretty well most of the time <laughs> sometimes it doesn't though i found sometimes some cameras don't have quite enough room um but actually the 127 cameras i've got filming at the moment i'm pretty i'm 100 percent certain that's got um 35 millimeter film in it um, i know i had to tape that up quite thoroughly because the back didn't quite close all the way on that um but there are so many of those old cameras i think the one i'm using at the moment is a kodak 44a i think does that sound believable um sure yeah, sure. sure. Sounds like a number. It's got 44 <laughs> yeah. in it. Um, this is a real basic point and shoot. Um, uh, I think it's fair to say that most of them are pretty basic, aren't they? Apart from the odd beautiful things like the Yushika that you were talking about earlier, Jam. Yeah. That's the Rolls yeah. Royce of um, uh, 127 cameras. And um, Rolly made a, a model as well, didn't they, that shot um, 127 film? Absolutely, yeah. By the way, I have an answer to your, your question from earlier. Oh, good. Uh, 127, 127 format was introduced by Kodak in 1912. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> okay. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, stopped production in July 1995. Yeah, I guess it must uh, be because... Uh, the They've got the vest pockets, haven't they, as well, that take 127. So they are very old, aren't they, the vest pockets? Hmm... Well, that's fantastic. Thank you very much for doing the thing that we could never be able to do on the show, which is actually <laughs> find anything out. Um, yeah, that's an inc- And yeah, because of that, there are just so many cameras around. Um, I was so lucky uh, last year, on uh, this time last year, Rachel and I were out uh, in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. And yep. um and Sinead and Rachel and I were out going for a walk, and I had my um, brownie one two seven, uh, on its little bit of string around my neck, um, and that bit of string broke because it was real old, and the camera <laughs> hit the deck, uh, lens first, which is a bad, bad way for any camera to hit the deck, and it cracked it, and um, but we walked, we walked around the corner into a um. What would you call it? It's the Red Brick Vintage Warehouse, actually, in Liverpool, because we were actually on the docks. So it hit the deck, literally, on the dock. <laughs> uh, and so we walked up the road, um, and I was like, don't worry, Graham, there's a vintage warehouse up here, and it's amazing, and you can find loads of uh, cool things in there. So we went in there, didn't we, in the end? Um, yeah. And you rummaged around, I think, for five minutes? Yeah. And found came out with the same camera <laughs> exactly yeah. because the brownie 127s do seem fairly ubiquitous and they're always so cheap um so cheap in the box yeah with instructions which i think amounted to press the button i mean what what do you want us <laughs> to say there's one button push it idiot um it may not have said that exactly um no. but they're, they're i did good. love that though. it was like going into asda or something and just you know picking up some, a new whatever <laughs> yeah and whilst the film is difficult to get hold of um it is easy with a lot of them to just use them with 35 millimeter film um you don't even really need any spaces or anything like that as long as you have got one um reel one one two seven reel that you can sellotape the film onto um 
and then it shoots you'll be shooting sprockets as well with the, that then won't you um because it will because it's a square frame it does uh um include the sprockets also that's also fun um and it is a thing i've done in the past um with mixed success as is everything that i do do you have a favorite 127 camera um I don't know. I think I have three. You have three. I'll allow it. Let's hear the top yeah. three. Actually, before you tell us your top three, how many 127 cameras do you have roughly? Ooh, good question. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I have at least one other. I'm looking at my, my camera shelf right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's just the other one. I um, I try not to get too consumed by by the gas. Uh. A good idea. It's very, very very sensible. Yes. So let, let's hear the top three and then tell us why number four is so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The uh, the Yashica forty four A, which I just love. Um, the uh, I have a a Kodak Brownie Fiesta, which was my first camera, ever. Um, and my Yogi Bear camera. Oh, Yogi Bear camera. Now, I oh. think you've shared pictures of this. I need, to, I need to find... I'm guessing this is a picture that looks like a Yogi Bear. I mean, it seems It seems like a little... It doesn't look like Yogi Bear. It just has a little little drawing of Yogi Bear on it, on, sort of on the side where you can hardly even see it. Oh, wow. I mean, I'll take that. Although, you know, it's... Uh, I, I would really have liked to look like Yogi Bear's head, but I'll, I'll take what I can get. Um, so what is it about the Yogi Bear camera? Uh, is it just the fact that it's got a picture of Yogi Bear on it? Well, I suppose that contributes, but... <laughs> <laughs> Does it thing is so flimsy that it seems like it shouldn't work at all. <laughs> and yet there are pictures, and I actually like the pictures. Um, I think the, I'm looking at one now, that, um, which is uh, from the Peak District, actually, um, in the UK. Yogi Bear 127 camera on Rarapan 400. And it's lovely. Yeah. It's got a lovely flare on it. and what have you. I can't actually see the camera, but I can see the shot that you took with it. So that's great. <laughs> yeah, it makes nice flares. And it, it it's, I don't know, it's it's so it's unsharp in a way that I really like. What <laughs> And does it help you with uh, stealing picnic baskets as well? <laughs> I would never do such a thing. Uh, I Listen, you know, you're out there with your Yogi Bear camera and clearly spend a lot of time out in nature and in parks. I, I, I mean, you know, you got to eat. Hey, listen, everyone's got to eat. <laughs> uh, so what's the one that didn't make the cut? You've only got four cameras and yet you picked the top three. What's the fourth <laughs> camera? Uh, it's it's a well it's a waldorf mini cam i see a, a Wahlberg mini cam waldorf waldorf like the salad a waldorf sorry. yeah like the salad <laughs> not not like um the uh marky mark and the funky punch no not like that Wahlberg. okay a waldorf good uh, and what why does this one fall down and it's actually i mean it's lovely but i tend to get a lot of scratches that i don't want on my uh, on my phone from it yeah um, and i i don't know that any other ones like that um scratch the film but this particular one does mm -hmm. so also you... it's not it's not square format <laughs> yogi isn't either but yogi no. gets away with it and also <laughs> it does not have a picture of yogi bear on it so to hell with that camera um 
what is the general response like with 127 Day? Do you, do you get a good response to it? Is there much love for 127 cameras out there? If there is, I'm not seeing a whole lot of it. <laughs> there, there's a sort of small but consistent group of people who really seem to be um, fans of the, the format. And I know I, uh, one contact of mine says, you know, it's the perfect format. You know, it's bigger than 35, but the cameras are relatively small and light mm. compared to a, you know, a 120. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a hard like, sell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I really like the um, the rolls of film, actually. They're very cute, you know. They I, aren't they sweet? I, I, I obviously loaded up my um, uh, my camera, my 127 camera, uh, the other day because it was roll film week as well. So I was, um, as I mentioned on the um podcast that will have gone out today on monday um i was shooting for uh, roll film week and obviously for one two seven day as well and um and i thought oh it's just it was so sweet i could literally have packed so many packs of one two seven film in my bag um and it was just the tiniest little thing it was very very nice it was it was a nice experience to to open up that um roll of uh rare pan so uh, yeah it was it was lovely mm. very cute I think one well, of the things. I'm oh, sorry. That you were out shooting 127 the same day I was. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned before the blog. Yeah, Rachel sent some pictures I, in, weren't you, Rachel? I'm so sorry. I missed. I missed what you said there. Sorry, Jam. I'm sorry. I would like to personally invite you to send a, a 127 photo to the the 127 day exhibition. Well, um, there's an offer I can't refuse, isn't it? You heard it here first, listeners. <laughs> it's going to happen. I will do it. Yes. <laughs> Thank and you very much, Jim. Uh, on the 127 Day website, you do have every um, 127 Day, you know, you do put together an exhibition on the website of the pictures that um, people do send in. And there's some fantastic work that clearly shows <laughs> what can be done with this wonderful little format um, yeah, from all around the world. I think it's lovely. One of the things that I really like about the format is that, again, as with a lot of the toy cameras, you know, the limitations kind of can push you in fun directions. So when Rachel and I were out taking pictures this time last year, um, all we've got is 100 speed film because that's all you can get is if you're if you're mm -hmm. using one. Uh, and it's Britain, so 100 speed film. <laughs> on, on Especially the January one. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the time we're going, okay, I want to take a picture of this. How many clicks shall I make this? Because <laughs> you're just going to have to guess. Like one shutter click is not going to give me enough exposure, so it's going to be. More... And um, I got some really fun results with that because I was hand holding it all, obviously, because that's the way you do that. Um, but you know, I got pictures that I would never have got any other way. Um, and yeah, it it was just uh, they. they with all of these cameras, the 127, the toy cameras, uh, and the pinhole as well, um, they're just so freeing, I, it, it feels, because you can't nail everything down. There's almost no way you can go, oh, if I do this, this, and this, I know what I'm going to get. You can have an idea. You can take as many steps as possible to, you know, get what you think, but um, there's always an element of, well, with with the toy cameras the lens might just do something weird to this and even with pinhole 
the light must ju might just suddenly change. It might go from being quite dark to suddenly being quite bright, because that's happened to me before now. And if you're doing a two-minute exposure and halfway through that two minutes, the sun comes out from behind the clouds. It's like, well, oh, what do I do now? Recalculate this exposure on the fly? Um, so yeah, there. there, There is, um, yeah, just a real fun to it. So... Um, one two seven one two seven day uh, one two seven film blah blah one two seven film dot blogspot dot com is the place to go to find out all about this stuff. I know you said that you're not really big or indeed at all on social media, which I'll be honest, Jay, it might be part of the reason you're finding it difficult to hook up with people for one two seven day. Um, is there a Flickr group or anything like this for that kind of stuff? There are a couple of Flickr groups for for one two seven that are very quiet. There's there's one two seven central and there's I think one twenty seven format maybe. Um, but they're they're very quiet. They get they get very little, uh, very few um, photographs submitted. But certainly can, people could see some some one some photographs in that format there. Can people find you on Flickr? No. <laughs> this might be part of the reason it's very quiet there. I'm just putting this out there, but that might be part of the reason. It's very hard to be promoting uh, an, an international um, multiple one-day event if you are not online anywhere. But um, we will we will always do our best to make people aware of it. And um, if you're listening to this... Thank you for that, and you are right about that. I, I realise that. <laughs> hey, we, we are barely any better. People in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, and we're oh, terrible. I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anybody who's listening who uh, is kind of inspired by the idea of these um, basic well they don't have to be basic but most of the cheap ones are very basic cheap cameras um, you talked about your favourite ones are there any that you would suggest to people keep an eye out for either that are particularly readily available that tend to be reliable or just a good go-to either in this i mean i suppose particularly in the states you'll know what's around there i've already mentioned that the 127 brownies are kind of everywhere here is there a good camera to look out for that's a really good question um and i'm afraid i don't have much of an answer i'm i'm not one to kind of hang out on ebay looking um at least i haven't done that lately um, and it's, it's not something I do regularly. And um, there are just not that many thrift shops that actually have cameras around here, as far as I can tell. So I'm, I'm not very good at that. Uh, well, Sorry. People, I mean, people aren't going to go far wrong looking for Kodak's name on things. Um, mm. That uh, is and, true. And generally, cameras that have got 44 or something like that in the name is likely to be a 127 camera. Um, that tends to be the uh, the giveaway on that, isn't it? Um, yeah. But there is a great list of I don't know whether they're all, all of them, but if it's not all of them, it's certainly an awful lot of them um, on the 127 Film website. So it's well worth a look. And as I said, from my own personal experience, the 127 Brownie and the Kodak 44 um, cameras are just great little plastic things. And the nice thing is you, you've got a picture at the top of the front page of that, of this lovely panorama of overlapping exposures because they're roll film and because there's no, on most of these cameras, they're not sophisticated enough to have anything stopping you from just hitting that shutter over and over again. So you can just kind of take a picture, wind it on a bit, take another picture. There's so many fun things to do. And um, 
they're a lot cheaper than a lot of the other toy cameras are these days because a lot of the toy cameras have mm. got quite expensive haven't they yeah um i was going to say that actually because one of the things that i found i don't i don't a holger um unfortunately it's it's something that it would be like it would be nice to have but i do have um the diana mini and the um diana f plus but they were very much of the um you know oh it's like you actually have to spend a bit of money to to buy one of these uh nowadays um and uh, and i suppose one of the drawbacks i've found of that kind of camera is because i've had to actually spend real money on it um and it's made of plastic i'm always a little bit wary of the fact that one of the benefits obviously is that they're very light because they're made of plastic but equally they are easily breakable um and um i always tend to be running around with god knows how many cameras hanging around my neck and um and trying to cram things into bags and things so it can be a little bit of a drawback i guess as well from that i i don't know if you have any of those kinds of cameras to the dianas to go along with your holger I have a couple of the old Dianas, mm-hmm. and they actually, I don't do well with them. I mean, I photograph mm-hmm. well with them, and I really like the photographs, but the cameras, those particular cameras don't seem to live long in, in my care. Mm-hmm. I have one uh, Stellar, which is a Diana clone that I love that's falling apart, and I'm afraid to use it because I'm afraid it will <laughs> find, completely fall apart. But the Holgas, on the other hand, seem to really kind of take a beating <laughs> i don't use a camera bag i just use a backpack and i just mm-hmm. throw them in the backpack or any other bag i happen to be carrying and i mean i tape them up a lot mm-hmm. and they're still going that's great yeah it is yeah. the whole i was going to ask you this um to, as we kind of get towards the end is the whole good if if somebody's listening to this who perhaps primarily shoots with slrs or rangefinders at the moment but has looked at your work and thought i'd like to try i'd like to have a go at this i'd like to you know try something a bit more lo-fi is the holger your number one recommendation for that kind of thing i think so although i you know i haven't personally used the uh the lomography dianas so i can't really speak to to those i there's just stuff I've, I've heard about them, but um, yeah, Holgas are great. <laughs> not not that it's the same kind of camera, but you, it might be one that's fallen into your wheelhouse as somebody who likes uh, interesting old and TLRs. Have you tried the Lubitels at all? <laughs> I have not. <laughs> and from what you've said about them, I, <laughs> I was going to say, are you trying to pass off your Lupitel on J.M. Golding here? <laughs> it, it, was just, it was very much a loaded question. I just wanted somebody else to go, yeah, they're pretty bad. Um, no. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I, well, that's really interesting. And um, I've got a Holger. I haven't used it as much as I should have done, um, but as it, it is another fun camera. Um well, I know you were hesitant to give tips earlier, but again, to somebody who this might be their first time trying a toy camera or, or trying a Holger, let's say, um, what advice would you give to perhaps reduce the risk of somebody coming home going, oh, well, this was a complete disaster, or oh, light poured in everywhere, or oh, the film was just the wrong speed, or what tips can you give that will reduce the um likelihood of just outright disappointment with them 
Well, interesting that you should ask that because I actually did have occasion to do that recently. Um, a, um, a friend of mine who has been went digital some years ago and used to use you know Hasselblads um, wanted to do a film swap with me, and we tried it with TLR with her Hasselblad and TLR, and the, the frames didn't line up. So we're like, okay, what what else can we do? And I was like, well, you could use a Holka. <laughs> They'll line up because we'll use the red window. <laughs> so uh, she started using a Holga, and it was her first time. She didn't know what to do, um, and. Um, in term, one thing that I, I did was I loaned her my copy of Michelle Bates' book, um, the uh, plastic cameras uh, playing with creativity, which sort of tells you everything you could possibly want to know. And I mean, I don't know her or anything like that, so I, I don't have any any stake in plugging the the book. Um, but I found it useful. Um, I think. Uh, most of the time, 400 speed film works great. Um, I've found film in the the 100 range to to work okay sometimes too. But I'm I'm in a pretty sunny environment, um, and if you don't want light to pour in, gaffer's tape is going to be your best friend. <laughs> Get a roll of gaffer's tape with your Holga, and tape up all of the all of the seams. Um, and the other thing that I do is I, I have tape to hold the back on because I, I heard a story of a fellow who was riding a uh, bicycle with a Holga around his neck with the neck strap and the back fell off. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm taping the back on from now on. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've, um, that sounds very much like a Lubitel kind of experience. Oh, the mm. just popped open. Oh, good. Halfway through a roll of film. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, well, the thing is that the strap holder for that is attached to the little the little metal things that, that you move to uh, to to lock the back on. Oh, genius. So it's, it's a bit of a design concern. <laughs> <laughs> is, it a, is it a bug or a feature? It's hard to tell. The yeah. thing, for such a simple camera, um, it's amazing that um, I was still able to trip up over it because um, you can, it has uh, a framing thing you can shoot. Is it half frame with it? Oh, you can you can shoot uh, 16, uh, four and a half by six vertical frames. Yeah. And there's a slider on the red window, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really... found that one confusing at first too. Yeah. Which, which camera is this on? Oh, this is on the whole. This is the whole... <laughs> oh right. You want it to point to the twelve, not reveal the twelve. If you want squares. Yeah, obviously, oh, <laughs> obviously. I mean, makes perfect sense when you get your film back and look and go, oh, all the frames are overlapping, which is exactly <laughs> what happened with me. Um, but you know, it's it's all part of the joy. Um, and yeah, there is something uh, incredibly freeing and fun about using those. I know Aid has spoken at length about using his Holger, um, and he seems to go through phases, doesn't he, of using it? And uh, and then he's like, okay, I'm going to put it away for a bit, and then he comes back to it and um, kind of refalls in love with it again. I think. Yeah, and I do think that they are the kind of thing which every photographer should probably have one in their arsenal. And if the thing that has ever put you off in the past is, well, I just don't, you know, I like to take good quality pictures for whatever that is. You know, I'm, I'm not into kind of you're just vague, whatever. Um, 
visit uh, jmgolding.com and, and look at some of the work that is on there and it will make you change your mind and it will make you realize that they can be used as tools to make incredible creative choices and works of art uh, just as much as anything uh, else can. Um, what is in, when you look ahead to 2019, what are you looking forward to with your photography? Is it more of the same, more Holger, more 127, or are there new new um, planes to be explored this year? Well, there's definitely the same. Um, I have also just in the last couple of months started playing with, um, with cyanotype photograms. Heard of them. Have you heard of them, Rachel? Cyanotype photograms? Yeah, heard of those. <laughs> they sound exciting. Yay! Yeah, and I, I was I actually <laughs> talk about photography holidays I decided this year last year I was not going to miss a world cyanotype day excellent and September wasn't it? For it yeah and I insp- I got inspired by one of the one of the forms I actually made a few of these to kind of see if I could make one that was sort of okay to 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 send to the person who was collecting them all and um I, I ended up with a, a form that really interested me. And I was like, oh, I could play with this some more. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know where that'll go, but I've been playing with that. That's fantastic. The fact that you live in a sunny part of the world really gives you a head start with that as well. That is true, although this is not the time of year to be, uh, <laughs> to be excited about making cyanotypes, even here. Oh, well, something to look forward to. Well, it's really nice just to have... uh, There's always something new to be inspired by. I think that's one of the most exciting things about this entire hobby and all the myriad ways it can spiral off and take us in different directions. Um, We know you've got to get out of here, so we will wrap things up there. Um, I know I've already mentioned on there about jmgolding.com, where all your photographic work is and your projects. Uh, And, of course, 127film.blogspot.com. Is there anywhere else you'd like to point people towards? Those are the ones. Those are the ones. They're very good ones, listeners. So I hope you've made notes of those. Or, or, or they will be in the show notes. They probably will. They will be in the show notes. I'm yeah, they'll be in the show notes. I'm getting, I love the way you say that with confidence, madam. I'm after duty to the show notes. God. Um, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about this. Uh, it's been an absolute delight. And um, as I said, the, uh, I heartily uh, entreat our listeners to go and look at your work because it's, it's just lovely. Um, it is uh, It is not a surprise that I am drawn towards images where sharpness and um, accurate detail is the focus because that's not the kind of thing that I'm particularly into. Um, but uh, just the what you create with those holgers uh, and uh, the other cameras um, is fantastic, not just in terms of, oh, well, look, isn't this amazing? This was taken with the holger. But no, this is just a beautiful piece of art. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, yeah, it's been lovely to hear um, sort of how you came to that and and why you do it as well. It's been fascinating. And um, Rach, mm-hmm. is there anything I'm forgetting about before we get out of here? Just to say, it's always a delight to see the um, the shots that you enter in the Cheap Shots Challenge as well. That they, they've always been, um, you know, as as I think um, you mentioned right at the top, that you have a very um, distinct style, and I think that's something that a lot of us aspire to um, try and create. And it takes a long time to get there, and some of us just don't get there. So, um, well done on that. Um, it's uh, it's very 
it's um it's very cool that you've managed to create that i think yeah and you've still got you know a few weeks left because we're expecting to see an entry for fashion mm-hmm. we better oh, not yes. let us so down good. absolutely <laughs> Woo. um i'm really pleased that we actually got a chance to chat to you the day after 127 day um of 2019 um so uh, just remind us when when's the next one it's the 12th of july because that's the, the date in the proper order the 12th of the 7th <laughs> uh, as opposed to you guys getting all mixed up and wrong but you know but that's all right but, we'll be patient. but we get until is it the 27th of february to upload our shots from yesterday yes okay fantastic Splendid stuff. Well, with that, listeners, we will wrap things up. You can find us, as always, at sunny16podcast.com and sunny16podcast everywhere else, like Twitter and Facebook and uh, Instagram, um, where you'll find Eric looking after things and Matthew doing a fantastic job putting up the posts on uh, the website. Um, So thank you very much for both of those. don't think there's anything else email us as always sunny16podcast at gmail.com we love getting your emails and we love reading them uh, on the backing paper show Um, we had a good time last night didn't we Rach doing that we did we did it was a lot of fun you were three gins in so uh, I think you had fun (laughs) (laughs) and do get your cheap shot challenge pictures into us as well (laughs) playing us out as always is Rachel and her lovely band Rocha uh, with promises I should have kept Uh, that's right Rach that's right on spotify amazon and itunes there you go all of the places seek it out listeners can we expect is there any signs of any new music coming from roja anytime soon rach not at the moment unfortunately we're on a um an extended um hiatus as you may have uh, you may have realized um uh, but yeah it's uh, we've been having lots of other sort of musical projects happening bits of sessional stuff and what have you i shall keep you posted um i don't know if you saw these but after our discussion of um, uh, Silver Pan Lab and um, finding old MySpace pages on online, um, I uh, came across our old one from when I used to be when the band used to be called Marlow originally. Um, so that was interesting coming across <laughs> our old MySpace page. Oh dear, yes. Um, uh, a treat for anybody who hasn't yet seen that. Um, uh, you know, there was the recent. Um, what was it uh t- 10 years sort of like post kind of thing um where you, there was a photo from of you like 10 years ago and i think i think the shots on that were from about 2006 so we're a little bit over 10 years ago <laughs> um but yeah it was um i was quite thankful that part of the shot cut off where you could see me wearing a red tutu so uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank- thankfully <laughs> you can't see that <laughs> Um, oh dear i'm so glad that i wasn't a teenager in the digital age oh god yes if ever there was uh, an indication that jm you are making all of the right decisions in steering steering well clear of all social media Uh, (laughs) never mind Um, the pros and cons yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um look forward to the next one thank you both for having me it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very it much really for has. joining us. And we will let you go now. And we will be back on Sunday with Backing Paper or Monday, I guess, for you guys. And yeah. next week with another show. Until then, dear listeners, thank you very much for being with us. And goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.